0: So very glad to have um, Brian sharing this morning, a man that God has continually put in my life. You know, a lot of us have that person um, that God continues to grow you through. It started for me. um, I came a young elementary school here at Grace, and Brian was one of the first familiar faces that I met um, in the youth ministry um, and in the children's ministry there. That's the first time that I was really exposed to God and what that means. Later... uh, God uh, directed Brian to work with the youth group, um, middle school and high school, a time where a friend meant more to me, you know, than anything in the world could possibly offer. And Brian was that. Um, you know, there was a little period of time that God has led Brian elsewhere, but I am so incredibly excited that he is back, um, that he has been selected as the candidate, and he can come back and continue to enrich um, our high school youth group. Um, continue to grow that. It's such a wonderful place, but also start to work and found um, young adult and college ministry, which, would you look at that, is where I'm going pretty soon. (laughs) So another great opportunity. Um, We see so much how Brian has such a gift to reveal God in so many places and find truth where a lot of us may not notice. Um, That is something that I have seen, and I'm very excited to hear from him today. So please welcome up Brian Brinkley.
1: Well, that's kind of hard for me to follow. Thank you, Joey. Part of me wants to say, well, that's all the testimony of you need and we can just go home. But I know that Pastor Dave won't let me get away with that. So who here enjoyed watching the Winter Olympics these last few weeks? The Olympics fans? What's the, yay. What are some of our favorite Winter Olympic sports? Let's go ahead and shout them out. What'd you go? Curly. Curly. <laughs> we got the gold in that this, this, this round, right? What else? Luge, high snowboarding, high. half pike. Okay, okay. So <laughs> out of out of all those, I probably know about what two of those sports were. I'm not I'm not a huge Winter Olympics fan. For whatever reason, I just couldn't ever get into these sports. I don't understand the snowboarding and the going off of a cliff and twisting around and <laughs> What 360s or 820s halfbacks are, I just, it's, I don't know. Every two years, uh, or I'm sorry, every four years, these sports come about and I just can't get behind them. Now, Summer Olympics, though, that's a completely different story. Mostly because the best sport ever created takes part in the Summer Olympics, which is basketball. Um, (laughs) Shout out to U of A men's, by the way, for clinching the regular season title yesterday. So that's a very good thing. My favorite competitions within uh, Summer Olympics is track and field events. And within track and field, one of my favorite events is the baton relay. Do you all know the baton relay? Yeah, pass them off, right? The thing that I like about the baton relay is that this event doesn't just come down to speed. This event isn't just about how fast as a team you can run around a track together. It takes extra skill. It takes special practice. Because if you can't master that art of passing the baton from yourself to your teammate in a very strategic way, you run the risk of losing that race. It's not just about the speed. It's not just about a successful completion of running around the track. It's about how purposeful, how successful you can be taking that baton and passing it on to your teammate. The team that can successfully pass that baton from contestant to contestant, teammate to teammate, are the ones that are going to win that gold medal. Today, what I want to talk to us about is how we, as a generation, can successfully pass the baton of our faith on to the next generation. And how important that is not just how important it is for pastors and youth workers or even parents who have the primary responsibility of doing that um, as parents, but how we as a capital C church, the whole body are so responsible for being able to successfully pass that baton. So will you pray with me as we get going this morning? Father God, may the meditation of my mind and the words from my lips this morning simply just be an echo of your heart. And that echo is that you care deeply about our ability to pass our faith on to the next generation, so that we can successfully keep running this race until you return. In Jesus' name, amen. Probably should open this up first, sorry. So today's church is facing a little bit of a dilemma. And that dilemma is that it is declining it doesn't matter what denomination we're affiliated with, the story is the same across denominational structures. Churches are getting older and they're shrinking. Now here at Grace, we're in the season of really exciting change. We have a new, hopefully, a new uh, youth pastor um, that uh, has been called. Um, really count on your votes next week. Um, we're, of course, engaged in space for Grace which is literally the process of how we can create more space here so that we can grow. Pastor Dave and the FT have presented us with compelling visions of how grace can position itself to embrace this growth that we're expecting. All the while, we can still maintain this sense of what it means to be Grace Community Church. Same core values and still be able to express that we are who we say that we are. But, like this baton relay, our success as Grace Community Church, and the larger church in general, depends on our ability to successfully pass along our faith to the next generation. If anything can sum up my passion and my desire and my purpose for being called for your youth pastor and young adult pastor, it is that fact. This morning, I hope to give you a glimpse into some of the whys of this decline in churches happening especially among our youth, and how I hope as Grace, as a greater body, we can all partner together to try and curb this trend in society. I come to you this morning more convinced than ever that the primary way that this happens is through the family, whether that family is mom and dad, one or the other, grandma, grandpa, aunt or uncle, foster mom, foster dad. It's because of those that are primarily responsible for the care of children that our students will discover whom God is and develop their faith from. But it isn't just mom and dad, it isn't just those that are charged with raising students at home that have an impact in fostering a lifelong faith in Christ. There's also an element that we're gonna talk about this morning in the sense that we as a church family are responsible for that next generation as a whole. Regardless of if you have children or not, or if your children are at home, or your children have grown up and moved away, we as a body, carry this immense responsibility for the next generation. This is a reason, by the way, if you ever went to a baby dedication or a baptism, why during part of it, the pastor turns to the congregation and says, do you as a congregation agreed to uh, do everything in your power to support this child and their family in the fostering of their faith? When we all say yes during that, this is kind of what we're talking about this morning. Being a parent or not, we should all feel the weight of our children and students' faith development, because scripture informs us that it's important. Not only does Scripture inform us that it's important, but we're also going to see how statistics and numbers and studies affirm what Scripture says this morning. So as we get into Scripture, I'd ask you all to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you would. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in the chair in front of you, or you can get out your phones or tablets and go to mygrace.church. And we'll take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Okay, so a couple of things here. It is kind of long, but I don't want you to check out during it. So, one thing that might be easy for some of you, instead of following along for the same thing, because I'm going to be reading out of the message translation, is it might be nice for you just to close your eyes and picture yourself sitting around in a circle with Moses speaking these words to you as you are about to be the next generation that's actually going to be able to inherit the promised land. This is the commandment, the rules and regulations that God, your God, commanded me to teach you to live out in the land that you're about to cross into and possess. This is so that you'll live in deep reverence before God lifelong, observing all of his rules and regulations that I'm commanding you, you and your children and your grandchildren living good long lives listen obediently Israel do what you're told so that you'll have a good life a life of abundance and bounty just as God promised in a land abounding in milk and honey attention Israel God our God God the one and only love God your God with all your whole heart Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all that you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about it from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder inscribe them on the doorpost of your homes on your city gates when God your God ushers you into the land he promised to your ancestors Abraham Isaac and Jacob to give you you're going to walk into large bustling cities that you did not build well furnished houses that you did not buy you're going to come upon wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive orchards that you didn't plant When you take it all in and settle down, pleased and content, make sure you don't forget how you got there. God brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Deeply respect God your God. Serve and worship him exclusively. Back up your promise with his name only. Don't fool around with other gods, the gods of your neighbors, because God, your God, who is alive among you, is a jealous God. Don't provoke him, igniting his hot anger that would burn you right off the face of the earth. Don't push God your God to the wall as you did the day at Massa, the testing place. Carefully keep the commands of God your God on all the requirements and regulations that he has given you. Do what is right. Do what is good in God's sight so that you'll live a good life and be able to march in and take this pleasant land that God so solemnly promised through your ancestors, throwing out your enemies left and right, exactly as God said he would do. The next time your children ask you, what do these requirements and regulations and rules that God our God has uh, commanded mean? You can tell your child, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God powerfully intervened and got us out of that country. We stood there and watched as God delivered miracle signs, great wonders, and evil visitations on Egypt, on Pharaoh and his household. He pulled us out of there so that he could bring us here and give us this land he so solemnly promised our ancestors. That's why God commanded us to follow all of these rules, so that we would live reverently before God, our God, as he gives us this good life, keeping us alive for a long time to come. It will be set right and put together life for us if we make sure that we do this entire commandment in the presence of God, our God, just as he commanded us to do. So what's the context here? Why is Moses doing this? What's going on? We know that Deuteronomy is the last book of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. Um, And we've gotten to this point in Deuteronomy where the Israelites have had this really long history, a lot of journey, right? A lot of trials, a lot of ups and downs, wandering in the desert for decades um, because their faith was found lacking. The unfortunate reality that Moses and others in his generation are facing at this point, now that the promised land is just in sight, was that their generation would not be able to enter this land of milk and honey. Their persistent rebellion and lack of faith in God and the promises that uh, he has kept from the beginning are keeping them from being able to obtain the entrance into the promised land. It's because of this that the book of Deuteronomy exists. The meaning of the word Deuteronomy from the Greek is second law, or maybe more specifically, uh, retelling. This book is basically Moses retelling the law uh, to this next generation. And then it would be at the closing of Deuteronomy that we see Joshua kind of taking the reins of leadership and beginning this conquest of the promised land. When the people would enter the promised land, God wanted them to be in a right moral condition, In order to enjoy this land that he intended for them, they needed to be an obedient people. Therefore, Moses gave them a practical instruction fit for them to live this life in Canaan. The Israelites were to bear testimony to the truth that God is the only true God. They were to love him supremely and keep his word. The commandments of the Lord were to be taught diligently to their children and guide them in every aspect of their lives. Moses knew that when the people would enter the land and enjoy its great prosperity, there was going to be a danger, possibly, that they would forget the one who gave the law to them and that they would go and follow after false gods. Obedience by the Israelites would bring victory over their enemies, but failure to follow all of God's instructions would result in more trials for the Israelites. So the next book after Deuteronomy is Joshua, where the Jewish people begin their conquest of Canaan. And then after Joshua, we come to the book of Judges. And it's in reading a few verses here in Judges chapter 2 that we see old habits kind of die hard for the Israelite people. So I'll read that to you now. God's angel went up from Gilgal to Bokim and said, "'I brought you out of Egypt.'" I led you to the land that I promised to your fathers, and I said, I'll never break my covenant with you. Never. And you're never to make a covenant with the people who live in this land. Tear down their altars, but you haven't obeyed me. What is this that you're doing? So now I'm telling you that I won't drive them out before you. They'll trip you up, and their gods will become a trap when god's angel spoke these words to all the people of israel they cried out oh how they wept they named the place bochem and there they sacrificed to god first one we see that this angel of the lord uh, came from gilgal gilgal which means a place of blessing um, and went to bochem this place of weeping so israel has literally gone from this place of victory and success To a place of great mourning. They have failed to drive out the Canaanites and to uh, destroy their idols and their false uh, idolatrous altars. Therefore, the Lord refused to drive them out. He let the inhabitants of the land stay and would allow them to harass the Israelites. This is the underlying reason for the oppression which would follow for the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 6 that we just read, the Lord gave specific commands to his people. Failure to to follow them led to a sad state of affairs. Lack of spiritual leadership has resulted in the corresponding lack of obedience on the part of God's people. The previous generation had not taught their children to fear the Lord and to keep all of his commandments. See, this next generation was, yes, physically free from Egypt, from their slavery, but spiritually, they were still all bound up. They found themselves slaves to false gods and idols that this new land had given them. It's here, adults, that I want us to understand how important our example and our devotion to God matters when it comes to the future of our children. We see so many examples today of our time and priorities being co opted away from God and onto other things. Our culture has far too many pretty and fancy and enticing things out there for our students to cling on to. And unless we're there to stand in the gap and walk alongside them, I'm afraid these trends that we see in the church will only continue. We need to let judges serve as our example of how easily a community can fail to pass that baton successfully on to the next generation. It is from this example that we see that lukewarm care for one's faith in this generation will only lead to lukewarm care and faith of the next generation. I want us to take our example from Judges and Deuteronomy today and make it relevant. right? So what what does it mean for us today? There are some interesting and compelling statistics that can open up our eyes to present circumstances and help inform us on how we can move forward together. My intent isn't to paint some pointless, helpless picture, but quite the opposite. I want to instill in all of us a hope and faith that God has Grace Community Church right where he needs us to be in a position to start to curb these trends. To begin with, I'll revisit a point that I made at the beginning of the sermon. No major Christian denomination in the United States is growing. None of them. They are all shrinking or they have plateaued. Young people between the ages of 15 and 29 represent a fourth of the population outside of our churches. But inside of our churches, one out of 10. Half of those students, half of those one out of 10 will stop going to church when they graduate high school. So what can we do? How do we begin to tackle this issue together? Well, the Fuller Youth Institute spent many years studying this and trying to come up to and answer some of these questions. What can churches do to become more effective with young people? Who and where are the most uh, innovative churches in the country when it comes to engaging young people well? And how can we learn more about them? They took all that effort and they put into a book that they call Growing Young. They identified six core commitments that are at the heart of these churches that seem to be what the lord is using to draw young people in and to keep them and i want to briefly share those with you and again i think that we'll find that these core commitments really affirm the things that we just saw from scripture first of all unlocking keychain leadership this means that um, as adults we're not just letting our students sit in sunday school we're not just letting them sit in their pews and watching and merely observing what's going on in church, but we are pulling them out of that observer role and we are putting them into full partnership and participation into the life of the church. Our youth should have a seat at the table. We cannot underestimate the awesome power of being able to sit down with the youth, tell them that we see them that we know them, that we see their passion and their talents and their abilities, and help them find ways to utilize that into the service of the church now. It is not something that they should wait for in the future. These churches also empathize well with teens. This is about throwing out our adult mindset and really committing to learn about the culture that our youth are growing up in from their perspective. That's important from their perspective. Instead of saying things like, when I was your age, we did it this way. We need to be saying things like, that's really interesting, tell me more. I didn't know that about this situation. Can you help me understand that better? I want us all to internalize this a little bit and ask yourselves, how much of today's teenage culture and environment do you feel like you really understand? Right. (laughs) Churches that are growing young place a high value on intergenerational ministry and mentoring relationships. They are listening to these teens. They are sitting down and having those conversations. They can say that they have some kind of a working knowledge about youth culture from their perspective. Churches that are growing unsuccessfully also place a high value... On Jesus's message at the blender our talks since I've been here at least have all been based around a central thing and that is that as Christians we should be valuing the things that Jesus values if we're gonna take our faith seriously we should probably look at the things that Jesus thought were important and then start implementing those into our lives very practically every day of the week not just on Sundays because that's when Christians get together they are explicit when it comes to the gospel message Whilst elements of Christianity can be confusing for people, Jesus is always compelling. So presenting him clearly is a must when we're attracting youth. These churches also foster warm community. The book puts it this way, that warm is the new cool. You aren't interested in fancy, youth aren't interested in fancy and flashy programs. They don't need hip modern worship with lights and smoke and they certainly don't need really cool youth pastors with awesome beards, <laughs> although they're a plus. The number one comment that youth actually made when asked uh, why they thought their churches were doing so well uh, attracting them was that they said that it felt like a family. It wasn't that they played fun games. It wasn't that their youth leader was you know the only reason why they came. It was that they felt like family when they came to church. Today's youth are attracted to getting to know others and being known by others. That's key. They want to be known by us. As much as you think we're old and youth aren't going to be interested in anything we have to say, that's not true. And it's coming from their lips. And all of this can be done really well if we really prioritize this intergenerational context that the church is looking at doing. These churches also prioritize students and family in all aspects of the church, in every aspect of the church. Think about what it would really look like if we did something like that. What if there wasn't a staff meeting, an OT meeting, an FT meeting, a Space for Grace meeting, a missions meeting, a common grounds meeting, worship meeting, where there wasn't a conversation surrounding students in some way. I know that one might sound kind of scary for some of us because our instinct is that if we really grow in prioritization in one area, that means naturally that we must lessen our influence and our priority in other areas. But the growing young group found that quite the opposite was true. That the more church prioritized youth in their family, the larger every other aspect of the church's mission grew too. No one's piece of the pie shrank in these scenarios. The pie just got bigger for everybody. And lastly, they want to be the best neighbors. Churches that are attracting and keeping young people have a large heart for their community around them. They are more and more interested in what's happening outside their four walls, then what's necessarily going on inside of them. This generation of youth that we're talking, oh, there's Mr. Rogers, there he is. We wanna be like that guy. Um, this generation of youth are already out there in their community serving and volunteering. They're just doing it regardless of if the church is influencing them to do it or not. Each of these six elements are items that I myself and the Gray staff are working on implementing and improving so that we can be positioned and equipped to answer God's call in our church. But we can't do it alone. If our devotion to Jesus is half-hearted, if we don't fully address the idols of our culture like the people of God were instructed to do, if we adults, regardless of our age, if we're parents or not, um, can't realize how important of a role that we play in passing the baton to our youth, none of these things are going to matter because the next generation will just continue to suffer spiritually because of it. So how do we do it? How do we keep those things in front of us? What I would like to suggest is that we start just the way that Moses instructed the next generation of Israelites to do as they entered the promised land. We start by remembering all of the good things that God has done for us. And by not forgetting what God has done for us. Each of us in this room have people that we can point to in our history of faith that where relationships mattered so deeply we can all point to that person every single one of us can remember times where community surrounded us with love and grace and showed us who jesus was to us it's our task to continue to do that to the next generation will you pray with me heavenly father I ask you to save the children in our midst. Would you call them to yourself in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit? May we as adults love them in an unconditional, grace-filled way. May we use our words to bless, encourage, and build up each one of them. And as we walk away, may we leave behind the beautiful aroma of Christ. It's his name we pray.
0: Amen.